All right, continue our study in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, please. Revelation, chapter 3. As you're turning there, thank you for your prayers tonight. Uh, do pray for the family conference. I'm expecting God to do great things uh, that a couple days on Saturday and Sunday. Pray that God would use the Brother uh, Will and Brother Bill Rice to speak to our hearts and bring stability and strength to our families. Also, next month, month of March, is a month we set aside for missions. We have a different missionary coming each Sunday of the month, all new missionaries. Uh, we're trying to have videos of our existing missionaries overseas that we can show on Wednesday nights. So the whole month, every service, be focused on missions. So please pray that God will use it and stir our hearts towards uh, reaching people with the gospel of Christ. All right, Revelation chapter 3. We're now on the fifth of the seven churches. Uh, mentioned in the book of Revelation, each one of these churches is a literal church that existed in the time that Paul wrote, excuse me, that John wrote this book. And each one of them is a message from Jesus Christ himself. Look in Revelation 3, let's begin in verse 1. I'll read 1 through verse 6, and we'll back up and look at each verse individually. This is God's message to the church of Sardis in verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled themselves their garments, and they shall walk with me in the white, for they are worthy. Verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So in your bulletin or your prayer sheet, you have a handout for tonight's study. I hope you get that out and fill in the break. Remember, in each one of these letters, we have a description, a commendation, a rebuke, an exhortation, and a promise. So let's begin, first of all, the description. Here Christ describes himself. And to this, it says in verse 1, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis. Remember, the word angel is the word messenger. He's not talking to an angelic being. He's talking to the pastor of the church. Speaking to the one who brings God's message to this body of believers. And you can say, unto the pastor of the church in Sardis, right. And notice the description that Christ gives of himself in, in verse 1. These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God, and the seven stars. Notice the description Christ gave himself. First of all, he that hath seven spirits of God. What are the seven spirits of God? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you hold your finger right here. Go with me to Isaiah 11, please. Christ described himself as one who hath the seven spirits of God. 
we're going to see, I'll give you a hint here, the seven spirits is none other than the Holy Spirit. And speaking of the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit of God. Isaiah 11 and verse 2, please. Again, the seven spirits of God refers to the Holy Spirit himself, describing his seven attributes of the Spirit of God. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, please. And if you don't mind underlying, at least highlighting, you're going to see seven descriptions of the Spirit of God. In verse 2, it says, And the Spirit, first of all, of the Lord. The first description of the Spirit of God is the Spirit of the Lord. It was going to say, and shall rest upon him. The word him is talking about, in the context, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. The second attribute, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom. That's number two. And understanding, number three. And the Spirit of counsel, that's number four. And might, number five. And the Spirit of knowledge, that's number six. And of the what? Fear of the Lord. Seven attributes of the Holy Spirit. And when, the, when Jesus refers himself, he that hath the seven spirits of God, each one of these describe the Spirit of God and describes the works of the Messiah himself. So the seven spirits of God. So the seven spirits of God are the attributes of the Holy Spirit. Again, the seven spirits of God are the attributes of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say in verse 1, these things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and seven stars. Now, what are the seven stars? Again, Scripture tells us that. Go now back to Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 1. Here we have exactly what the seven uh, stars are. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. And notice what it says here. It says, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my white right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. Then he tells us what they are. First of all, the seven stars are the what? Angels of the seven churches. Again, the pastors, the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. So the seven stars are the pastors of each seven church. Remember, he begins each letter talking to the pastor, the messenger of the church. So here's a picture of Christ that has the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit and also has the seven pastors in his hands, in his hand. Talking about the closeness or the uh, work that God does in the work of a pastor. Number two, we have the description. Number two, now the commendation. And this is, I think, a very sad part of this letter. There was nothing for which Christ could commend them for. There's nothing for which Christ could commend them for. We saw there are two churches. There was no rebuke, nothing bad about them. But this one, there was nothing good about them. <laughs> Let me ask you, what would God say about you? <laughs> if God were to write a letter to you, would he have something to, good to say about you? Or would he have something to rebuke? In this case, sad to say there was nothing for which the Lord could, could commend them for. How sad that is. Number three, now the rebuke. We saw the description, the commendation, which there was none, and the rebuke, again, the latter part of verse 1 of chapter 3. 
He says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art what? Dead. So first of all, Christ says to this church, after he could say nothing good about him, he does say, I know thy works. Talking about your deeds, your actions. By the way, God knows your works, your deeds, your actions. In fact, let me show you a, a verse. This is a very positive word. This one is negative. Go with me down to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's a wonderful promise made to God's people about our works. 1 Corinthians 15, and many of you probably know what verse I'm going to, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Here is a promise to God's people concerning our works. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the what? The work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor, I mean, again, your work, your deeds, your actions, is not in vain in the Lord. What he's saying here, that whatever you do for Christ is not wasted. It's not in vain. And again, why? Because he knows your works. <laughs> He knows what you do. They're never in vain. They one day will be rewarded by him. Another reason they're not in vain. Go with me now to the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, please. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Look with me in verse 10. Again, a verse referring to our works in a positive way. We saw that he knows our works. And works we do for him was never in vain. Sometimes we think of it. We wonder if is anything being accomplished here. When you're giving uh, the gospel to somebody and it seems like it falls on deaf ears, is your labor in vain? The answer is no, it is not. God's word will never return void. It always has a purpose, always for a reason. But chapter 6 of Hebrews, look in verse 10. It says, for God is not unrighteous to what? Forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Notice here, forgetfulness is an unrighteous work. By the way, how many of you are forgetful? God says he's not unrighteous to forget your work. Why? He knows your works. Your works are never in vain, and he'll never forget. One day, the Bible says, as a Christian, you will stand before the Lord at the judge seat of Christ, and all your works will be brought to the surface. Every one of them. Not your sin, and from that was taken care of Calvary. The works you've done for Christ since you were saved, and, and you'll see why they're never in vain. You'll be rewarded for them, and he will not forget. Aren't you glad someone said God forgets our sin? My friend, in reality, he does not forget our sin. The Bible said he remembers them no more. And, and I'm grateful for that, aren't you? <laughs> but he does not forget our works. Now go back to uh, Revelation, please. Now to this church, this body of Christ and Sardis, they had nothing to commend them for, but he says to them, I know your works. And notice how he described their works. 
in the latter part of verse 1, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. First of all, letter A, they have a reputation of being alive. You have a name, a reputation that you are alive. So everything that people know about them, they're alive and maybe vibrant or alive for Christ. They have that name, that reputation, and the one who knows their heart. Now, the Bible says, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the what? From man's perspective, they were alive. And they were, uh, you know, it says there, thou livest. But in reality, let it be, they were dead. They were dead. From man's perspective, they were alive for Christ. But God's perspective, Christ says, you're dead. If you would, please, I think the verse on the screen. In Matthew 23, is that verse on the screen next? It is not. Let's turn there, please. Matthew 23. Here's a description of the Pharisees that will fall right in line with the description of the believers in Sardis. A reputation of being alive, but in reality, they were dead. How about you? Now, you tonight, you, you're in church tonight, and, and you're here, and you may have a reputation, a testimony that you are alive for Christ, you're doing a lot for him. But what would the Lord say about you? Would he say you, that you're alive on fire for the Lord, or did he say you're dead? Uh, Matthew 23, 27, look what it says. He says, whoa, the word woe, he wasn't riding a horse trying to stop. The word woe means judgment unto you. Scribes and Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of Christ's day. He called them what? Hypocrites. He says, you are like a whited sepulcher, which indeed appear beautiful outward. In other words, outwardly, they're beautiful unto men and look like everything is right with God. But he goes and say, but within, you're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. They have reputation before men that they're alive, clean, righteous. But Christ says, no, you're full of dead men's bones, full of all kind of uncleanness. Notice here, he calls this hypocrisy. Now, usually we think of a hypocrisy, one person acts this way at home and another way at church. Of course, that's hypocrisy. But here he calls hypocrisy a person, outwardly he looks right, but inwardly he's wrong. My friend, I'm, I would suspect that many believers in our church may be that way. Outwardly, you look good. You're righteous unto men. You have the testimony that you're alive. But the one who knows you best realizes things inside are not right. He calls that hypocrisy. How many hypocrites do we have here tonight? I hope we don't have any. But uh, that could be. That was true of the church of Sardis. You have a testimony, reputation, alive, but reality, you are dead. Next, number th four. And we saw the description Christ gave himself. Then we saw accommodation, which he had none to give to this church of Sardis. Then we saw the rebuke. They have a reputation of being alive, but in reality, they were dead. And number four, now look at the exhortation. An exhortation, encouragement he gives to this body of believers. Now look in verses two. In verse 3, first of all, in verse 2, the, the 
the exhortation, letter A, put down, wake up from their spiritual slumber. He's encouraged them, exhorting them to wake up from their spiritual slumber. And he used the word there in verse 2, the first two words, be watchful. The word watchful means be vigilant, keep awake, keep alert. These believers, you know, had the parents of being alive but were dead. And in a sense, they may be uh, alive, but they were asleep. And he says, be watchful. In fact, that word watchful there is the same word used in 1 Peter 5.8. Where Peter says, be sober, be what? Vigilant means watchful. Because you have here the devil as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom may devour. So he speaks to these Christians who were dead inside and will sleep in slumber spiritually, he says, wake up. Letter B, the second exhortation. Strengthen the few evidences of life you still have. <laughs> Strengthen the few evidences of life that you, they still had. It says again, uh, the second part of verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which what? Remain. Remain. So strengthen a few evidence that you, that you still have. Christ went on to say in that verse that I have found, have not found thy works perfect before God. It means complete. They were not following through the things they should do, and they were not perfect toward the Lord. They were falling short of fulfilling obligations that believers have. So the first exhortation, wake up from your spiritual slumber, strengthen the few evidence of the life that you still have, and let her see Remember what you have received and heard. Remember what you have received and heard. And it says right there in verse 3, again, it goes on to say, verse 3, it says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. If you would please go with me now to the book of Deuteronomy, please. In the Old Testament, the fifth book of your Bible referred to as the book of Moses, the Torah, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, please. Deuteronomy chapter 8. He told them, remember what you have received and heard. And here's a very similar exhortation Christ gave, excuse me, God gave to the Jews, his people, in chapter 8, verse 7, please. Chapter 8, verse 7. He says in verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, of depths, of spring out of the valleys and hills, land of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates, and land of oil and honey, a land wherein thou uh, shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of his hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou eatest, art full. Thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. He's blessed his people, hasn't he? How many say God's blessed you? But read on. In the midst of the blessings, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, has built goodly houses and dwelt therein, 
and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, thy silver and thy gold multiplied, and in the, uh, thou hast multiplied, all that all the has been multiplied. Verse 14, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou what? Forget the Lord thy God, which bring, brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from bondage. So he tells us, in the midst of our blessings, people, be careful that you don't forget the Lord. Sometimes we get so much focused on what he's done for us, we forget the one who did it for us. And so, and when he tells the, the church of Sardis, he says, remember what you have and have heard. Go back to Revelation, please. The fourth exhortation. The first one, wake up. Number two, strengthen. Number three, remember. And number four, letter D, he says, hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. And the middle part of verse three there of chapter three, he says, hold fast. Hold fast. He says, remember, strengthen, remember, and hold fast. A verse I want to share with you goes along with that in Second John chapter one, verse eight. He said, look to yourselves that you lose not those things which you have wrought, but that you receive a full reward. Hold on to what you've got and keep on serving the Lord. Hold on to your walk with the Lord. Hold on to your service for him and that you, don't, uh, that you might receive the full reward. Letter E, the fifth exhortation. Then he tells his people to repent. Repent, change your mind. Repent or unexpected and sudden judgment will come. Repent or unexpected and sudden judgment will come. Look in verse 3, that part. Repent, if therefore thou shalt not watch, but you don't do what I told you to do, well, you don't wake up, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I come upon thee. It doesn't tell what is going to happen, but I'm going to come suddenly, unexpectedly. And therefore, he says, repent, change your mind about uh, who you are and what you're doing. You have a testimony of being uh, alive, but you are dead. And you, and, and you need to wake up of your spiritual condition. Number five, number five. We saw the description, a commendation, a rebuke, and the exhortation, and lastly, the promise. The promise God gives to this church. Look in verse 4, please. It's a first of all, it's a promise to a faithful few, or I call it a godly remnant. God has always had a remnant of his own, people that are faithful to him, and that is true also in this church. He says in verse 4, First of all, number one, they had not defiled themselves with sin. As a group of people in the church that had not defiled themselves with sin. It says in verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They have not defiled themselves with sin. So there were some people that were still faithful to the Lord. And he's commending them. Uh, they had not defiled themselves. The next thing, these faithful few, number two, they shall have fellowship with Christ due to their personal righteousness. Even a church such as this, a church the Lord could not commend anything good about it. There were some still faithful to him. 
and those that are faithful and have not defiled themselves will have fellowship with Christ due to their personal righteousness. He says in that, in that part of verse 4, that they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The word walk means to fellowship with me. So even in a church such as this, there, those who are faithful to God can have fellowship with God. And so uh, that's the, to the faithful few. In fact, if you would please, skip over, talking about you shall walk with me in white. Look over to Revelation chapter 19, please. Look at, keep your finger here in chapter 3. We're coming back to that. Revelation 19, verse 8. How are these people made white? Thou shalt walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And notice what it says here about white linen of the believer. Re Revelation 19, 8. And to her, to my, the body, the bride of Christ, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and what? White. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the what? Saints. That would co correspond with they talk about that you shall walk with me in white, for you are worthy. So that's the promise to the faithful few. Next, we have a promise to all believers, not just to the, those in Sardis, but all believers, even to us today. Look in verse 5. Go back to chapter 3, verse 5. He says, he that what? Overcometh. Remember, this is a spoken to each church. He concludes, he that overcometh. He moves from a blessing, a promise to the individuals in that church. And now he speaks to believers of all time, of all churches. And by the way, what is an overcomer? He that overcometh. Uh, look on your verse, I think it's on, your, on the screen there. First uh, John 5, 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that what? Believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So the believer is an overcomer. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, in God's eyes, you have overcome the world. So this refers to you as a Christian. He that overcometh, and notice the promise he makes to the overcomer. Two of them there. First of all, that shall be clothed in white raiment. Shall be clothed in white raiment, it says there. The overcomer shall, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. In Revelation 7, 14, let me read this to you. It said, I said unto him, Sir, the, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which come out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the what? The blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ is what makes us white in our st standing, but also keeps us white in our state. I'm talking about our standing, our position with Christ. But when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses all righteousness. He keeps our walk with him white also. And so the, prom the promise there shall be clothed white raiment. And next, look in the verse again. He said, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Again, talking to the believer, to you and I, all Christians, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. He mentions there. Now, I'm going to spend a whole lesson next Wednesday night on the Lamb's book of life. Now, here's a question for you. Don't answer out loud. Whose names are written in the book of life? Don't answer out loud. Generally, you may answer if it's not true. Uh, 
when is a person's name written in the Book of Life? And are they, how is a person's name brought it out? And why? Same time, same station next week. <laughs> Come back, we're going to talk about it next week. It's been a whole, a whole uh, night on the Lamb's Book of Life. But here's a couple of verses for you before we wrap it up tonight. The result of having your names not written, excuse me, not blotted out. Revelation 21, 27, it says there. And there shall in no wise enter into it. Talking about heaven, the new Jerusalem specifically. Anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie. But read on, but they which are written in the what? Lamb's Book of Life. So those people, those persons whose names are written in the Book of Life, will go, you know, go to heaven, see the New Jerusalem. Then he says in chapter 20, verse 15, Revelation, and whosoever was not found written in the Book of Life was cast in lake of fire. Wow. So in the judgment, if your name is in the book, come on to heaven. If your name is found not in the book, you're cast into hell. By the way, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Find out next week. <laughs> Let me say this. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, yes, it is there. All right, lastly, the last promise to the, uh, all believers is he said, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. What a privilege. To those who know Christ as Savior, those, he said, I will uh, clothe you in white raiment. I will not blot your name out of the book of life, and I will confess your name before my father and his angels. Can you imagine that time, that day? The day you stand before the Lord, and the Lord Jesus confesses you, names you by name before his father and before his angels. And so that's a promise God makes to all believers. We've got to stop right there. So another thing tonight, did God speak to your heart about something tonight? Was there something mentioned to the church at Sardis that would apply to you? Maybe you're one here tonight that everybody sees as alive. I mean, he's alive, he's serving the Lord, he's faithful, he is on fire. But the one who knows your heart, could he say, you're dead, you're asleep, you're in slumber? What, what about you? Now, uh, we can fool men, but we cannot fool God. Because remember, the Lord looks on the outward appearance. Excuse me, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? What does he see in your heart tonight? If there's something not right there tonight, why not make it right? Why not leave the service tonight? If there's something that's wrong, something that's out of place, something displeasing God. Uh, I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe that's what you need to do tonight. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, could it be that you have spoken to someone specifically tonight, even though you were talking to the church of Sardis, believers that found there, but there may have been a message to someone here tonight. And I just pray if you have, it will respond accordingly. Maybe it's the one who needs to hold fast to what they're doing right and, not, and remember all that you've done for us and not forget lest we forget you. So Father, help us to apply 
what we learned tonight from the message to the Church of Sardis and apply it to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.